Hello, welcome back to Zenith Podcast. I am your host, Cesar Davila, and I'm here with the returning guest. Her name is Flo Romero. She was a marriage, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also my aunt. And and if you have not listened to our first episode, we focused on therapy and child abuse. This is going to be a little bit more broad, talking about relationships and therapy in general. And welcoming Flo Romero. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I'm so happy you're back. It's been kind of overdue now, and I'm, we're finally here. So um, a few things have changed since the last time we recorded. You started private practices. Yes. So uh, that's one of the things that I really liked about our field uh, as a marriage and family therapist. In graduate school, I was aware that with the degree, you can do full-time therapy, work for an agency, or you can be a clinical supervisor, which is what I do now. And I supervise therapists that have their caseloads. Um, another thing you can do is be a contract supervisor so you don't work for an agency full-time. It's part-time, but you're just there as a supervisor for the clinical work. And another thing you can do is private practice. So that's not something that I am um, doing now. Right now I have my full-time work, but I do. Um, I am curious to start my full-time private practice in the future. So that's something that I've always had in the back of my mind, that I want to do full-time private practice not now, but looking a couple years down the line, I think that would be another thing that I would be very excited about and to kind of just um, explore and push myself even further in my career. And is, is there any like reason why now you decided to start um, instead of it becoming an idea and like, start trying to work, work towards it? Um, I think mainly it's because I also have some colleagues that are doing full-time private practice and they're really excited about it. And so me and asking questions on how they started, how they work. So having that support there is very important. I think that in my field, it's also important to fit, uh, kind of build a sense of appropriate colleagues because in the kind of work that I do, uh, consultation is key. What I mean by that is we have to talk sometimes to another uh, professional just to bounce off to make sure that the treatment modality we're doing is correct and or I'm not missing any pieces for safety purposes for a patient. Um, so consultation is always good and, and building that support and that group. Like a network in, type of thing? That network in, in our community is important so that when I am off on my own doing private practice, I have my network of therapists that I can call and run something by them. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because, like, just like any other profession, there's also different therapists that kind of focus on different things, correct? Yes. And with you, when it comes to private practice, is there any, like, specific focuses that you want to engage in? I would be open to uh, couples, adults, children, since I have a lot of experience working with children. Obviously, that's a strength that I have. But um, I've gotten a lot of practice also on working with adults and couples. So I'm really open and excited to, to uh, be able to have that broad treatment. Are there any like specific types of, um, cases that like you're like, that you're like interested in like specifically? Like, I think what I'm interested in is uh, down the future in private practice 
is um, the depth of the treatment that I can take on with clients. Mm. Uh, the levels of depth that we can get into with adult patients. Um, obviously, that's very different than working with children. So that's a really exciting part of the difference in the therapeutic uh, investment that I'm going to have for my patients to really go further in their own psyche and kind of modify their behaviors or their goal for treatment. Okay. And um, can you give us any examples of like treatment that could be given to people in the specific like context of like what they're going through? Right off the top of my head, cognitive behavioral. So that's a lot of what I do. What I mean by that is you come to me and you're like, oh, I'm coming here because I have this problem and I want to fix this. And so in me listening to what you bring forward, then I'm going to work on your cognition, your thoughts, behaviors that lead to those actions that you're unhappy with to then try to change them. And how is it? when a patient comes to you and they know like what's wrong with them versus someone who's like hey like i kind of like i don't know what's going on i kind of want to like figure it out and is there any way you can help me for that like how do you how do you like engage both of those situations Uh, with the patient that has some self-awareness that's one step forward in us being able to move forward to make that change with the patient that has no self-awareness but is caught in these situations then it's um, just starting with baby steps, education and information for them to have self-awareness to validate what they put into those relationships as well, whether it be positive or negative. And that way we can move forward to making changes. How do you feel about self-awareness? Because I feel it's, it's really, it's such an interesting thing because like, when you become self-aware of your actions, obviously like it's kind of like you're looking at yourself, you know, it's like you're looking at yourself through a TV, you're like, you're the actor, you're, you're the screen. You're like, Oh my God, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and like, do you think, do you think it's difficult for like the average person to kind of become self-aware? Are there any levels to self-awareness? There's absolutely different levels of self-awareness and it's absolutely difficult for most people to be aware of them. Um, they don't realize maybe some of the things that they're doing that are faults. You know what I mean? So people sometimes don't realize what they're doing wrong. A lot of the times it's, okay, well, I'm caught up in this situation. This person hurt me because they did that. Well, what about you put you in that situation? Or you're half of that relationship. Every relationship is 50-50. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to face that and understand it not only face it but understand it and you have to understand it and you have to be aware of that so that you can change it without knowing that it's something that you're doing how can you change it something so basic but if you lack the self-awareness there is going to be no progress so you have to have that in order for there to be some changes and that's really difficult and in treatment I try to bring that self-awareness forward to my patients And it takes time and it's a slow process because humans uh, don't like change sometimes and they're set in their ways as older, the older you get, the more you're set in your ways. And so to change that is really difficult. And through treatment, that's where we could do it with little goals, little baby steps at a time. Is is there a specific like age range you would say where change would be kind of like the most easy to adapt to? Not really. I think 
um, change comes in relation with age is the wanting to, the acceptance of, okay, this is what I'm doing wrong and I want to change it. You could be 15 years old and not want to change and nobody's going to budge you to do otherwise. Or you could be 80 years old and saying your way is not want to change. So as you can see, both ages are a huge difference. But if that person does not want to, I'm not going to be able to do it with either of them. Okay. I see that. And I mean, it's because uh, like what I, what I was thinking when I was asking that question is how I know I know a lot of people since I am in this age range, like in the 20s, mm-hmm. a lot of people go through changes because in their 20s is kind of when they realize what did they learn and what like what did they like what was kind of like pushed to them when they're younger and Mm -hmm. what is it that and like they're kind of finding their identity Mm because isn't it true that like when you're 24 25 your frontal lobe that's when it's like completely developed yes at that age yeah i mean that's it's true because i i'm i'm at that age and i'm only now kind of trying to figure out who i am as a person and what are my likes dislikes what are Mm -hmm. my good at what are my passions Mm -hmm. and i always thought it was ridiculous how you kind of were set to think that you had kind of you you had to have everything figured out by the time you're like 18 years yeah. old yeah so that you know what do you want to do in college graduate and where you want to go from there and during that time you're absolutely right that's when we're still developing even at your age now 24 25 um you've developed but now you're still growing i think that you really well, maybe different people might have different opinions, but for me personally, it was in my 30s. That's when I could really say that I grew into my person. Like your identity, right? Yes. That's when I really went through ups and downs in my 20s and earlier life to then know what I want and what I don't want out of a relationship and or out of life. Um, so for me, it was it was definitely in my 30s. Yeah, that's what I say, the 30s are in your 20s. Yeah, you know, because in your twenties you're still figuring out what you are, especially now, like at this day and age where there's like you can no longer follow the American script of like, oh, you graduate, you get your bachelor's, you get a job, and you you get you get your career. Like you, that doesn't work anymore. So that yeah. kind of is leading more towards people figuring out what they want to do, where they kind of don't find that stability and their identity until they reach their thirties. You know? Yeah. And me personally, like I'm looking forward to my thirties because that's when I'm I'm hoping that. All my, most of my problems that I have now, which is figuring out what I want to do, what my career yeah. is, yeah. is figured out by then. Yeah. But obviously that's going to take work and time and effort and self-awareness, you yeah. know. Yeah. But the good thing is that you're excited and you're open about it and you're researching to see what it is that you exactly want to do um, instead of just letting time pass because time passes very quickly. So hopefully, you know, set your goals, set it by a certain age so that you know you can achieve those and then move forward from there. Yeah, and also what's really interesting is kind of um, that that idea of living day by day, you know, with mental health. I mean, it's, and how it's, how it's kind of related to mental health. And like, it kind of, if, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not worrying about it, nothing's going to change. I, I remember the last time, our last episode, you talked about what's the definition of insanity, mm-hmm. repeating the same process but expecting different results. Different. Yeah, you know, that's exactly, what's, um, that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. All right, and also with that being said, I did ask some of the some of the supporters and followers on on Zenith to ask questions because you're a returning guest, you know. Um, so they ask uh, mo- they asked multiple questions, whether it was on mental health, on therapy, 
and on people and teenagers. So the first question I wanted to bring to you was actually um, brought to uh, brought from one of my friends. She asked, how do you overcome emotional addiction after being raised in an abusive household? So um, like we kind of talked about before this, uh, this, this episode, that's a pretty jam-packed question. So I asked yeah. my friend to kind of elaborate with that. And she um, elaborated with, like, what exactly is emotional addiction. And she talked about how basically people can get used to or addicted to ups and downs of a toxic environment. And it's because we subconsciously find comfort and familiarity no matter how, no matter if it's good or bad. Yeah. So that's definitely a question that uh, there's a lot to it. But what really stuck out to me from her general question was just the the abusive household situation and so what i my first thought in that is what type of abuse was it you know in that household was it domestic violence was it physical abuse was it sexual abuse we don't know so that's first and foremost and the way to move from that is obviously um, treatment uh, individual therapy so in individual treatment you can work through the abusive household trauma that you've experienced um work through it through treatment to then not repeat it so then we go into the emotional addiction addiction aspect of this person's question so so that we don't repeat the cycles over and over of these toxic relationships or toxic environments in treatment that's where with the therapy you really dive into your own personal experience so that you can learn from what happened to you and learn how to not repeat that cycle, how to not engage in a relationship with the person that you're going to repeat that same cycle with. So really to rip that cycle apart, to rip that chain, um, that emotional chain that sometimes weighs really heavy on individuals. Um, And we don't see it. It's just symbolically something that we carry. And we don't want to carry that. So through treatment, we help you in uh, really looking at those aspects and trying to uh, make a better change so that you don't fall into those toxic relationships over and over. Yeah, and I, I feel like especially when you're in a situation like that, therapy can help because that allows an outside source to kind of give an, an open, like a perspective you know, that you may not understand because like what 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 really interested me about this question was like the wor- the words used as in like imagine like getting bored you know of of a relationship because technically i'm because you kind of mentioned this how you love your boring relationship you mm-hmm. love your boring marriage it was because <laughs> it's so stable and right. i totally agree with you you know because sure like you know toxic relationships could be exciting because there's drama there's chaos you know and there's and there's this unpredictability of like what's going to happen next but at the same time is that healthy right it may not be healthy but it might be something you're so used to where once you find someone who is calm and who's understanding and who is healthy you're like like this is boring yeah (laughs) you know like yeah exactly hey i'm gonna go with my friends okay cool you're like that's it like yeah like oh why isn't he jealous doesn't he love me yeah exactly oh my god that's a really good that's a good point right there you know because Mm -hmm. jealousy like could like leads to kind of very unhealthy um behaviors right absolutely yeah is there healthy jealousy i mean every person in every relationship there is that sense of healthy jealousy however it is and should be more minimal you know in a in a healthier relationship yes you can go out with your guy friends uh and uh it not be a concern at all go to a bar hang out you know 
enjoy yourself and it shouldn't be a concern to the other person if there is that trust between them and vice versa you know the female could go out with her friends and go to a bar and that shouldn't be a problem but uh, sometimes if you're used to those toxic relationships you definitely like the roller coaster effect of the ups and the downs and you find that exciting and that in treatment you could find out what pulls you towards those people and if you don't want to repeat those and you want a stable relationship then uh, let's let's change that you know but having a boring relationship is actually an exciting thing to have you know that's something that you do want that ultimate goal with um, so that you could have that stability and that partner that really supports you um, I think that's that's something that's healthy to, yeah, to achieve yeah because I mean like the exciting part about boring relationship means that you're more in control of what what to like put into relationships such as like oh hey we should like plan a trip or mm-hmm. hey we should do this mm-hmm. rather than these moments of chaos where you're not in control in but they add excitement to the situation the relationship you know and that excitement comes in small bursts yes so after that excitement diminishes it's bad news again and and then you're like in this cycle again the roller coaster cycle of up and down but those downs come fairly often and so that isn't a good feeling either when you're on those lows. Yeah, wow, that's that's such a that I, this is such a good question. I, I love that this person asked because there's so many. It was it's so jam packed. There's so many different like aspects to look at. You know, absolutely. That's why when you first read it to me from this uh, listener, I had to you know take that question in because there's different. It's a very intense question, and so I really had to break it down. Because it's touching about the abuse of household, the emotional addiction, the toxic environments, toxic relationships. That, that's a lot of, 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 you know, different topics in one question. But it's absolutely a great question and very interesting. And I think, again, through treatment, we can work through these things. I have a question with, with what you just said right now. Um, is there a difference between a toxic environment and a toxic relationship? There is. Because... The, the relationship is more of a one-on-one, you know what I mean? Versus a toxic environment could be a household as a whole. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's, okay. you could be in a household where everybody's telling you negative things. You could be in a household when uh, there is one person that is really hurting the family. Let's say, for example, it's somebody that has alcohol abuse, severe alcoholism. And that person is bringing that toxicity into the household environment as a whole. Like when they walk in, is today going to be a good day or a bad day? We have to walk on eggshells because if he is, you know, um, on, you know, drunk out of, of, I don't know how much alcohol he took. Is he going to get upset if I make a little bit of noise because it's going to wake him up? So again, that's the environment aspect of it. And more of a a relationship, it's the one-on-one, the highs and the lows that type of difference okay uh so when when you're in a toxic environment but not in a toxic relationship so for instance if i'm dating someone who lives with their family and their family just contains a bunch of toxicity in Mm -hmm. it where every single time we're in the environment it's toxic Mm -hmm. but whenever we're not in the environment everything's very healthy Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the person who's being toxic but just the environment itself is producing this this negativity Mm -hmm. like what are some things you would advise 
me or this other person to do like like would you just like recommend just getting out of the environment like what if that's not an option yeah getting out of the environment is not an easy solution that would take a lot from a person to moving out to having a stable job to be able to afford the rent so that's ultimately a goal but in when you're in it um you know take a couple of deep breaths separate yourself from the situation if possible even if it's uh you know you stepping out of your house and going outside and standing under a tree and taking a couple of deep breaths and just uh, centering yourself a little bit you know something so simple as that regarding any toxic situation going on around you you can definitely do those little things to do self-help yeah i mean i also yeah that's a lot of it also has to do with, I mean, going back to self-awareness, you know, kind of understanding that, like, maybe it's not even in your control. Like, you can't, like, because you can't control the people's actions, you know, but yes. you can't con control the way you react. Right. So if you're not adding to the, like, to, like, the toxic environment, that that itself is helpful for you and help, absolutely. hopefully, like, absolutely. helping with the process. You know? and, and having these other, maybe another person outside of that environment that is a positive role model or person in your life and kind of bouncing it off of that person so yes you realize that these people are toxic and it's a toxic environment but then having somebody outside that you could bounce it off with and you see the difference that's huge as well because if you're just surrounded by toxicity all the time that's all you know but if you see there's this light at the end of the tunnel with that one particular relationship you have whether it be with a teacher or a therapist or a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, um, that's huge because that can really change uh, the way you want to live your own life by seeing that there is a difference. That itself could also be really challenging, huh? Because it's kind of like you're so used to being in this toxic environment that once you find this stability, you don't know how to react to it because you're so conditioned to re reacting to a toxic environment where sometimes you might subconsciously, like, repeat behaviors that you don't want you, in your you, own environment you might subconsciously sabotage relationships yes, yeah because that's what you're used to um sometimes maybe you think you're not good enough to have this other person in your life that's a positive in your yeah. life or maybe you don't trust them where like you kind of want to test them you know yes. and test and yes. like i think tests are really like um when you say the word boundaries. tests to me that to me is playing games yes you yeah 100 percent. Yeah, and yeah. when you play games the person that's really losing is yourself because let's not play games in relationships be true be honest be raw and that way you can see whether that's going to be a good match or if it's not um, by playing games you're only confusing the other person really hurting yourself at the end because you might lose a person that's actually a good fit and a healthier person um and that's not going to be uh, good but again that self-awareness of realizing you're the one playing games is really difficult for people to to come face to face with it's because it says it's admitting you're wrong and when do people ever want to like admit that you know like right right yeah, because yeah, it's kind of a blow in your ego a blow in your identity like you know like a slap in the face to yourself yep and again that's something that i think every adult or every person has to kind of do in order to gain what they want out of their own life and what kind of relationship they want yeah and i remind like and like i remember when i went 
earlier in this episode when I asked you, like, is there any specific age range where change is the most, uh, like, able? I can look at now, like, talking talking about it now, I don't think so because I think it's really subjective based off of your experience and your maturity, you know? Because yes. someone could be 40 years old acting like a child yes. versus someone could be 18 years old yes. and already understanding, like, how important it is to be emotionally yeah. intelligent and to, like, yeah. talk about their feelings yeah. and not play games. Absolutely. And that's why when you gave me that answer, that question, I couldn't answer that because it is very tied to each individual person. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And so it's just a matter of that person really having that self-awareness to make those changes. And that's hard. So that's what we're here for, to try to help through the process. Yeah. And with that being said, let's go to the next question. So. The next question, uh, again, was submitted. It was, it is, what is the most common emotional trauma you see working with teenagers? And we can start off with teenagers, but then I kind of want to also open up to just pers- like broader of like of what of what trauma it's itself. But with teenagers, what what do you think? I think uh, right now, I'm also looking at it with COVID because right now COVID is a part of everybody's lives. So with COVID and teens. Um, you know, there's unfortunately the socialization aspect that has diminished because you guys aren't going to school. So without having classes and socializing with the other teens, um, that's a huge part of junior high and high school. Uh, that's part of probably one of the best memories that I have in the engagement with my friends in those years of my life. And unfortunately, right now with the teens, that's being taken away. And that's a really sad part, unfortunately, because you're losing out on that and at a very pivotal point in your life. But with that being said, you know, the social diminishing um, comes in social media. So that's huge with teens. You guys can't connect physically. So now you're connecting through social media and social media is so powerful, you know, with um, bullying. You could get bullied through social media. Uh, that affects your self-esteem. A lot of teens, if they're isolated, then we're looking at more extreme cases of suicidal ideation uh, due to pressure or being unhappy with whatever it is that they might be going through. So these are some very uh, tough, tough topics to touch. But um, there's things that I definitely see, I've seen in teens regarding bullying, uh, social media, and suicidal ideation. Um, and that's where we try to help to stabilize. I think it's so interesting the uh, the point where teenagers are at in life because they're at a point where they're growing to the point they're growing, you know, they're becoming adults, they're developing into themselves. So they're they're forming their identity, but they're forming their identity through the influence of all these outside sources through school, through social media, through people, especially through friends. You know, peer pressure, like it's all mm-hmm. all of it's connecting to who they think they are. And remember, social media is, um, what's the word? Uh, it's not real. It's it's like a fantasy. Yeah, it's manufactured you know? 100%. Like, Absolutely. It's not real. And when you are a teenager, sometimes, I mean, sometimes maybe you could see the reality of that. Other times you don't see the reality of that. You're very easily sucked in and you think that is reality. So um, that's another aspect, you know, and that's where parents come into play of being involved with your teens, um, talking to them, knowing what they're looking at in social media, knowing what, uh, what they do on their free time, knowing the type of relationships they have with their friends, knowing their friends, knowing the parents of their friends, 
um, this, these are all important aspects so that you guys can, can kind of help them go through this process. And, um, uh, some of the questions that some that other uh, that some of the listeners sent in actually is such a this is a really good segue to that is kind of like what are some advice you can give parents to help connect to teenagers? Um, I think a way to connect to teenagers is talking to them, but listening to them, not just talking to them, but listening to them. Let's say that they're talking <laughs> or you know long end conversations about a game that they're playing. As a parent, if you are busy with work and trying to make dinner and you have to pay a bill, there's other priorities in your day-to-day. But, but to them, it's not. To them, it's not. That is their world. That is your world at 14, 15, 16. So make it important. Like, stop whatever it is that you're doing. Stop, sit down, and really listen. Listen to their drama with their friends. Uh, do you think sometimes it's silly? Yes. But to them, it's not. So listen to their stories, listen to their drama, listen to whatever it is that's important to them at that point. And the kids are smart. Kids always know if they're being heard or not. They know that if a caregiver or a, an adult is just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if that person is really listening. And if they know that you really listen, they're going to come back to you and tell you other things. So if a, one of your teenage boys comes and talks to you about, you know, a silly fight that he had with a, a friend. Um, that's a good thing because that means that he knows you're important and he wants to share that with you. And you have to make those little conversations happen so that when the serious conversations need to be had, you guys are comfortable in having these these uh, conversing and having these topics being discussed. Otherwise, if there is no communication, you better you better know that they're never going to come to you with the more important topics because they're not going to feel heard and or um, not probably not be comfortable. Yeah, baby steps. You yeah. Know? So you have to build that relationship and that communication so that you can then uh, kind of move forward with the more difficult things that will be coming. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. And uh, based off of my experience as well, it's really hard to see these teenagers as adults because, like you said, some of their problems could be silly, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, like, <laughs> like some of them that, like, they might be even, like, yeah, you could, like, they could, might be even funny where you wouldn't laugh at, like, oh, yeah. my God, those are your problems. Yeah. But at the same time, that is their world. So, you like, you have to validate what they're feeling, you know? Absolutely. And not just that, but I say something that uh, people can definitely take from this is that... um based off of my experience a lot of times whenever i talk to like my parents or my dad the conversations aren't conversations they're more them giving me advice it's, yeah you know it's more me listening yeah. than us talking yeah. and like you said it's really important for the parent or the adult to listen you know because yeah. listening allows like connection and like actual yes. understanding between yes. two people yes you know and if you're always giving advice when are you ever listening right you know and right. some of, and for me like um what i think is really important to kind of give the sense that you're listening and to just listen in general is to just ask questions always i like ask questions ask follow-up questions even if they're dumb you know like yeah. that's how you get more elaboration that's how you get more understanding and you show that you're understanding and you want to know more yeah because like as a parent what would be an ideal situation as a parent the ideal situation is your kid is going through something and it, they take it upon themselves to come to you and tell you, hey, can I talk to you about something? This is what's going on. That's a hooray moment as a parent. And if you have these little conversations like you're saying, 
we're hoping that those big moments are going to come your way. But if you're just, like you say, just kind of telling you or, or, or just giving you life lessons, but on their perspective, but not really listening, um, I don't know if that communication or that bond is, is as, as good as it can be. Yeah, I agree. Like if every conversation, I, if every, every, every single time I walk up to you and it always ends in you lecturing me, I don't want to like go yeah, up to you Nobody wants to get lectured all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's like, boring. Yeah, it's, and not just boring, <laughs> it was also like, like it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong or like yeah. you don't like. Like you're not good enough. Okay, yeah. what, what is it that I have to improve on now? Yeah, like, okay, yeah. what I do now. You yeah, know, like, exactly. Yeah. And you don't want, the kids don't want to feel that. So, again, it goes back to having that communication, but really listening to have that bond to hopefully have one day them really coming to you with the situation that they really do need advice on. And the best person that can give the kids advice is their parents because they're, if they're good parents, they're going to, you know, want what's best for their children. Yeah, and, like, part of being a good parent is... uh like allowing them like is, is sharing your experiences to them so that yeah I, I mean at the end of the day i feel like every parent doesn't want their child to suffer you know right. and like they don't want their child to make the same mistakes they do like right. they did right you know but also part of life is you have to go go on it yourself you have to like go through it yourself you have yeah. to make those mistakes yourself yeah. but yeah. like you know as, as someone who cares you you want to minimize the damage right you right. know and so I, yeah and giving them those specific examples of what you went through maybe will help them age appropriately if they're at that stage. If you open up, not just lecturing, but opening up with personal experiences, maybe that will click with them yeah, a little like, better. Yeah, too. like to the point where maybe you can ask them for their perspective on what you went through. You know, like mm-hmm. what, what would you have done if mm-hmm. you were in my perspective? Mm-hmm. And then you could use your experience to kind of help them process what they're going through, you right, know? Right, But But also that leads to like, being vulnerable and a lot of people don't like being vulnerable which is like the problem with opening it up and communicating is that like people like to feel like they're in control they're in power you know especially parents because that's the power dynamic in the relationship between right. the parent and the child right yeah i mean i think i can, with what you're saying right now um it's hard to become vulnerable and and just cry in front of your child but those are human emotions so that's a good thing. If you're a parent, I urge you to have these emotions. If you have to cry in front of your child, that's okay. If you're going through a tough time, that's okay. That shows them you're human, you're vulnerable, and that life is hard. And as a parent, you're going to give them the appropriate tools to use uh, so that when they're confronted with different situations, uh, they can try to solve them appropriately. Also, I think that's a really good way to... Because eventually I feel every every child doesn't realize that their parents are human until they're older. But if you're able to show that vulnerability at a young age, it will allow the child to realize, oh, my God, my parents are not perfect. They're they're humans, you know, Absolutely. which that itself kind of breaks down the ego as in I'm the center of the world. Right. You know, because right. if you like because if, if you if you, you don't know anything about your parents, if you don't know the the troubles your parents go through Mm -hmm. when you're like a teenager and and if like for me personally that's that's what i went through i didn't know all the problems my parents had the Mm -hmm. struggles they went through until i was older Mm -hmm. then as i was older i realized oh my god like they've been through so much they did so much for me Mm -hmm. at a young age and i didn't even Mm -hmm. know you Mm -hmm. know like if you're Mm -hmm. able to show that to them at a young age it would help the child kind of break down that ego and 
kind of realize like oh my god like you know like there's things bigger than me like i'm not the center of the world because i feel like a lot of kids have struggled with that they think they're the center of the world they think everything revolves around them. and that's on the parents that's on the parents in kind of them um doing that for them yeah trying to put out all these little fires for them so that they don't have to go through it but as a therapist i would advise the complete opposite you do want to let your kids go through their own struggles and talk to you about it so that they could learn those life lessons the sooner we start giving them that the better adults they become yeah and going back to the the question about like the trauma and stuff is is there any like trauma you would say that uh that is really common that people don't necessarily see or process as trauma like kind of like there's like a phantom type of thing um maybe uh, what top what uh is coming to my mind as you're asking me this is uh emotional trauma Mm. there's no uh physical scars uh you know there's but it's the emotional trauma is is what's deeply rooted so that's important to talk about even if there was no you know uh like something as severe as sexual abuse but emotional abuse can be just as hurtful kind of, it's kind of like like neglect you know if if you're never valid if your feelings are never validated at a young age as you get older you kind of feel like feelings are yeah. kind of like invalid in yeah. general you know and mm. then you kind of diminish the whole process of what is emotional intelligence because you never learned that you never learned how important emotions play into human interactions and behaviors and that's all on parents to kind of model for your children you know so we're going back to if you model different emotions for your children then they're going to know okay this is okay to be this way and it's okay to talk about the feelings and it's okay to cry when you're hurt but if you never do that for them they don't learn yeah and that's what's so difficult as a parent because like it's also like a lot of times especially for the first job it's their first time doing it as well right right, you know and um it doesn't matter if you're older if you're a younger parent you know like your experience and how you process your experience and like your traumas are going to reflect on your children absolutely absolutely you're you're the kids learn so much from their parents and they see everything even at a young age even like, subconsciously like they're yeah. like subconsciously absorbing yeah. and processing everything even though yeah. they might not even know right right so if something so simple as let's say it's domestic violence and it's a six-month-old yeah can that six-month-old verbalize it absolutely not but that energy of the fighting or the screaming like they screaming and yelling they can, can definitely yeah. pick up on all that and this is a, a, a little human without any words yet yet the emotional aspect of it is absolutely there wow that's mind-blowing <laughs> i did not know that i mean but also it totally makes sense you yeah, know because it's kind of like um picking up on nonverbal cues you know because yeah. like obviously the, these children may not understand the context of what you're saying but they understand like the like the energy that you're giving off the tone that you're giving off you know like what yeah. like how you're expressing it because then eventually like once they start practicing that because yeah i mean when you when you think about like how do you learn how to do stuff it's you see it and you and you like kind of reflect it like monkey see monkey mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. know whether it doesn't matter if you're like you're a six month old or if you're a teenager like mm-hmm. i remember like being 12 years old and i saw a kid like 
who was like three years older than me like oh my god that guy is so cool like i want to be like him how do mm-hmm. i be like him oh i act like him you know okay mm-hmm. so i walk like this maybe i talk like this maybe like i copy what i see right you right. know and like that's totally i mean it totally makes sense why parents are the biggest influence you know absolutely and even if they're even if they're neglecting that's like a big influence like even yes. if the parents not around yes. that itself unfortunately it's, that itself is impacting the child yes I mean, going back a little bit to the nonverbal cues and teens, uh, teens are huge with nonverbal. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. So picking up on these nonverbal cues as a parent is crucial. Like, you could tell a lot if the teen is slumped over, flat affect, uh, you know, doesn't engage, um, stays in their room for hours at a time and doesn't come out. Uh, you know, those are all nonverbal cues that as a parent, you can absolutely pick up on and kind of, you know, try to help yourself help them through these nonverbal cues. Um, so, yes, teens are difficult. Absolutely. But there's a lot of things that as a parent you can do to, to help with that. You think teenagers are like the hardest years as a child? Like, I mean, as a parent to kind of raise? I think I'm I'm speaking more regards to therapeutically. Yeah. Uh, some teenagers can be very difficult clients because they don't want to talk and I don't blame them. But sometimes kids come to me because there are important things to be discussed and to be talked about. So even though they don't want to be there, it's my job to sit with them through that and to help them process that and uh, heal from it. Um, do they want to talk about it? No. But, uh, you know, that's where that's where we come in to try to help. Yeah, I like that. So going to our next question, it is, um, is there a way to resurface old memories through therapy? I think the one thing that pops up for me on this is hypnotherapy. I am not trained in hypnotherapy, though. So I I can't give you more on this particular topic because I've never done it and I've never been trained. I've been, um, it's interested me. There's some uh, maybe... um, we do what's called the continuing education hours. So we have many different topics throughout each, every two years, I have to renew my license. And every two years, there's continuing education units that I have to do. And anyway, the hypnotherapy is one of the options that I can do as my continuing education hours. And that's something that I have also been interested in, but I have not taken yet. But that is one way to resurface old memories. Would you ever consider like adding or like looking for someone like a practitioner to add to your network for hypnotherapy? Like, have oh, you absolutely, about that? absolutely. If if that's something that I'm interested in, and more importantly, if I'm going to treat patients with that, right now I can't treat patients with that because I haven't been trained. Yeah. But if I'm gonna get trained, I would absolutely want that as a mentor. Okay. Yeah. And um, when this person, when they asked this question, something I thought of was, uh, I remember when I was <coughs> hospitalized, uh, hospitalized this past March due to my, the blood clot in my lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like the three, like the first three days where I had the blood clot, I yeah. was just constantly hyperventilating. Mm. So about three weeks after I was released, I decided to like meditate and kind of like try to process what's going on Mm -hmm. so by doing that i just started making myself hyperventilate and it 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 kind of brought back um brought me back to that moment where i was at the hospital bed and so so let me get this straight you were trying to help yourself by calming yourself and by calming yourself you brought yourself back to that moment of 
hyperventilating? Um, no. So like, I I wanted to, I I wanted to see, I wanted to process and kind of like understand what I was feeling when I was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was hyperventilating to kind of see if anything would oh, would, would trigger. Okay. So yeah, I I don't know if that was smart or not, you know. <laughs> but it kind of helped. But like, but it did like, it 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 brought like the feelings brought me back to being in the hospital. I'm like, wow, okay. this was really interesting. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully, like I was in a calm environment in a calm headspace mm-hmm. where it didn't like produce any anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, or any panic, mm-hmm. but. I um I talked to his, I was talking to a psychologist about this and mm-hmm. they said how that that could be referred to as exposure therapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You brought yourself back to that moment. Um what, like for example, I I've done that for myself in regards to when I was in graduate school, uh, I always had the pressure of having to get good grades. And so um, I would get anxious over different things because I'm like, I have to get an A on this. I have to keep my GPA up. So one of the things that I would do, it might seem minimal, but I would go to the lecture hall prior to the final exam and I would sit there for a while in order to uh, be in that environment, uh, deep breathe a little bit of time so that when I go, I've already been in the same environment in a relaxed state. So I would go by myself, and it was like a Saturday I, afternoon, I and sit there by myself. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I think, one of the very. I mean, it doesn't compare to your experience, um, but that was one of the ways that I helped myself, so that my anxiety could decrease during my final exam, and I could actually focus instead of just hearing my heart rate. You know what I mean? Wow. That's okay. But I see that. Um, going back to your point, I mean. Uh, Absolutely. Exposure therapy is important. It can be helpful when done right. So I definitely, I definitely want to uh, uh, stress that to every listener, you know, these are difficult things that people go through, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, uh, stress, life. Um, And these are good techniques to use when used right and through treatment. You know, so it's very important that you do get the right help and it can definitely help you, uh, but just make sure you're doing it the right way. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's exactly what probably um, I should do rather than doing it by myself, you know, as it goes yeah, to let's, a Yeah, let's not do that again. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I haven't done it since he told me because uh, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to trigger anything I won't be able to control. Right, right. Yeah, because, you know, at the same time, I don't know. Like, I... I, I I was doing it for my best interest to help me process what's going on because I w- would rather process it now than find out a year later, like, oh, my God, like, you know, like, this has been affecting me. And right, I didn't know, right, right. You know, and yeah. that leads me to, um, w- like, how sneaky, like, processing and not processing and trauma and mental health can be. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, within, like, these past few months, I've been having flare-ups for lupus, you mm-hmm. know, and... Some of these flare-ups have gotten are very extreme to the point where they leave me immobile, mm. and you know I I have go to the, have to go to the ER, right? And they can't really do much other than drug me with pain meds, right. so that I can at least uh, like tol- tolerate and function right. and and be mobile and just right. literally walk. Mm. So like the I had I had three major flare-ups. The first one, um, were flare. Uh, they're all in my joints that left me immobile. 
So the first one was on like both of my ankles. I couldn't put any weight on it. I had I needed paramedics to come pick me up from the house mm-hmm. and take me. And the second time was from was two days later, um, was from my right ankle and my left hip. I mean the left mm-hmm. side of my hip, you know. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, I had a flare up on my knee, mm-hmm. where I was, or I knew I knew one hundred percent it was gonna get worse. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to ER. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if I were to rate the pain from like a one out of ten, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so far, those flare-ups, the first one uh, on my on my ankles, I did. I waited. I waited until it was too late. That's why I yeah. needed the paramedics to come pick me up. Yeah. The pain was already at a ten. Mm. The second time I went, the pain was like an eight and a half, nine. Mm. So I was able to barely walk yeah. to the car, and yeah. then that was only like a like a thirty-yard like walk, you know, yeah. from my bed to the to the front door to the car. Yeah. And then after that, I needed a, a wheelchair. And then by the time I got to the ER, I couldn't even walk anymore. All right. And then same thing with my knee was that I'm like, I already know where this is going. Mm-hmm. The pain was already at like an eight. I'm mm-hmm. like, I have to, I have to go before mm-hmm. I can't move anymore. Mm-hmm. And this past, this third time where I had the flare up and I went to the ER, I like completely felt defeated. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I felt com- defeated mm-hmm. this in this entire like treatment, this entire experience I've had with lupus mm-hmm. and and I, I realized I felt defeated, but that's it. I didn't I didn't think about it much more. And then I didn't realize until a, a week a week ago. So a week ago, it's already been uh, three weeks, two months since the flare-up. Mm-hmm. My older sister talked to me. Mm-hmm. She's like, hey, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you seem like you're on edge all the time. Mm-hmm. You seem you're always stressed. Like, mm-hmm. you, like to be honest, I, and then I started looking back. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Like, I have been creating a sort of toxic environment Mm -hmm. you know i've been really stressed i've been Mm -hmm. really mean you know Mm -hmm. i have not been myself but i didn't realize i wasn't myself Mm -hmm. so going back to like my behaviors and patterns the past month i realized like i have been more isolating and more negative to like everyone around me you know and Mm -hmm. i and not just that also but like i realized that like i i've also kind of stopped um I, I haven't been reaching out as much to mm-hmm. my friends, you mm-hmm. know, and family. And even the podcast itself, like, mm-hmm. I kind of stopped putting in a lot of, like, um, the time I usually did put in or the effort I usually did put in. Yeah. And it was just so interesting because, like, I didn't realize that until she asked me, like, hey, what's yeah. wrong? Yeah. And then me telling her how I feel and me, like, expressing it, I'm like, wow, like, that makes sense. And in, and in this whole time as well, um, we we had some problems at home where... There was a bunch of kittens that we had oh, in the yeah. backyard. <laughs> and the kittens were such a trigger for me because mm-hmm. of the problems that it was creating. And my mother would feed these kittens. Yeah. And she just kept on feeding, feeding them, feeding them. And eventually, yeah. like, you know, the, the moms had babies. Yeah. And, like, and my sisters and I, mainly my sisters, we got rid of all the kittens. We yeah. got rid of 13 kittens. The oh, my gosh. 13 kittens. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to everyone who adopted them. <laughs> we like thank thank you. They yeah. at least they have good homes. Yeah. But that can't happen again because how it was so hard to find homes for these kittens, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I realized like oh my god, I get so stressed and mad and irritable whenever these kittens come, and yeah. and that led to me getting stressed and mad and irritable whenever I see my mom or I talk to my mom. Yeah. And then I realized like oh my god this might not even be about the kittens. It might right. be some deeper issues. Yeah, that it I, wasn't about the kittens. It wasn't about the kittens, <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. And it was just such an interesting, it was so interesting 
being like getting to that level of self-awareness yeah, you know absolutely. but it was it was so difficult too because now you're like now what like now like do i like now i need to like now now that i know what's happening comes the hard part right. which is comes the work yeah comes the work which is yeah. to actively daily combat this this like this depression that i'm feeling because yeah. i came to the realization like oh my god ever since my third flare-up where i can recall me feeling completely defeated mm -hmm. like I, I i went into a depression you know and just hearing you uh, go through your experience right now also don't be too hard on yourself with that either because just listening to your experience as an outsider you're going through a lot this is a life-changing situation that's happening to you that you have no control over you're learning you're educating and you're informing yourself to have more control over it which is a blessing but it happened unfortunately fairly quickly too so don't be too hard on yourself because this is a normal there's going to be different phases of the treatment process for you regarding your treatment with the doctors you know there's going to be times when you're you know informed and educated and you're going to be completely maybe um not as anxious then there's going to be times when a flare-up comes and then you might get more anxious or you might want to go towards depression again so it is going to be a you know a curve but but the fact that you have this self-awareness and that you're able to acknowledge it is key because that means that you're able to take responsibility for it and like you said i mean that would be my advice day in day out just t check little tabs on yourself you know okay am i staying in my room too long no okay then let me let me go out and you know watch some tv or engage with a friend or text a friend or listen to music and do something that you enjoy um so those are going to be important points for you. And this is, what, like you said, where the work begins. Because this is where you're going to take um, kind of like the lead. And you're going to be in control of your own emotions. And that's hard to do. Because I think one of the things that you said that was really interesting, which I absolutely agree with, is that sometimes uh, our subconscious can be tricky, can be sneaky. So we don't see this happening visually in front of us. This is a sneaky aspect of the depression where it slowly comes in. It's not from one day you're feeling great to the next day you're in bed 24 hours. I mean, that can happen with bipolar, but that's another issue. Um, I'm talking about in your experience. So it has this sneaky form of coming your way. And that's scary because sometimes we don't even see it happening until we're in the middle of it. Um, and that's where the therapy will definitely come in and help so that you can process this information and have support over the difficult situation that you have been going over and uh, have the maybe some tools that can help you throughout the way. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um, especially me being out of work for the past like five months, have 100% like put a toll on me you know yeah. because being home all day like the only times i go out of the house is whether i'm running errands or going to the hospital or meet up with someone yeah and like and obviously i'm i'm trying to minimize me like meeting up with people to the covid you know but right, like right, with everyone right. be, well, thankfully a lot of my friends are vaccinated which makes me feel more comfortable meeting with them right, right. and i keep my circle small but stable right so like I, I may like i may go out more consistently but with the same people rather than going out with different people right you know right. 
but like that's that's one of that's one of like the biggest problems with me i'm like i realized like also so the day that my sister talked to me that morning i got into it with my little sister my mom Mm -hmm. and and i was so irritated where i just wanted to leave the house so i left the house yeah and i want to go get breakfast for me and my sister Mm -hmm. even though i was mad at her (laughs) you know (laughs) but i realized but then i realized like oh i just needed to get out like i felt so much better just going going on a drive listening to my uh, music you know yeah. or a podcast and yeah. like just to get my mind out of it and i realized like oh my god like i'm home too much yeah like oh my god yeah. like this like wow like it, it it was so simple as me just going on a drive to kind of ease my mind and know? that's where it's so important to be in tune with your own emotions and your body because we're gonna be able to see if we're having a good day or a bad day regardless of the situation going around us and when you are in the middle of having a really tough day the one person that can help is you yourself as an individual. You could help yourself, whether it be walking outside, sitting on a bench, sitting under a tree, um, going to your nearest park and just laying there and looking up at the clouds. I mean, something so simple, but the act of doing that, the turning on the switch, it's so that's hard. the key difference. That's what makes a difference turning that light switch on of okay i'm going to the park or i'm going for a drive that's huge even though it might seem like something so simple as a therapist when a patient of mine is able to catch it turn the switch on and act on it that's i think an exciting part because that's you helping yourself having that self-awareness and acting on it and it makes things better yeah i totally agree turn turning on the switch is the hardest part and for me personally though like once the switch is on like it's rolling yeah you know for instance like like for example like um like our this episode like literally right now like i'm still currently like in the in in the state of like being depressed you know where Mm -hmm. like it's really hard for me to like turn the switch Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. but then um so like this morning like when i texted you and stuff Mm -hmm. like my my mood and energy wasn't there yet Mm -hmm. but then like I realized I needed to prepare myself mentally. So I'm like, okay, so I need to do this. All right. And then turning that switch on was difficult, but then it was a lot easier with purpose, right. such as recording a podcast where yeah. now that I'm here, yeah. my mind is stimulated. I'm yes. active. I'm rolling. Yes. I don't feel that like lack of energy or motivation or creativity yeah. or production, Yeah. you know, but giving myself that sense of purpose, especially right now, I'm not going to school. I'm not going to work. Like yeah. it's so hard to find that sense of purpose, yeah. you know? Like on a daily, on a daily and consistent basis. Because that's not something that you've had to do in the past. You've been so active in the past. Uh, But once again, I go back to don't be so hard on yourself because unfortunately you're, you're dealing with something here. You know what I mean? So that's understandable. And the fact that you're aware, that's amazing. And that's awesome. And just continue that on a daily basis to help yourself. Will it be easy? Not every day, but, uh, the fact that you were able to turn the switch on and move forward with what you had to do in the day, uh, that's amazing. I mean, there's there's different levels of depression. And unfortunately, there are those levels where people can't get up, where they can't leave their bed. They can't turn the switch on, even when they know they should or they have to or they've done it in the past. For that particular day, they can't. And that's... Um, that's also a reality, you know, so we deal with patients very differently. Everybody is different. We're here to help. Um, but 
you know, just take it day by day. And to all my listeners, don't be too hard on yourself. Trauma is hard. Life is hard. And uh, it's okay. And we're just going to do baby steps to help you through it. Yeah, I mean, it's all about baby steps. That's what I, con- well, that's what I like, I tell myself that a lot, but also I tell people that a lot. Like, you know, anxiety comes from, like, trying to think you're in control of everything, you know? When, like, a lot of times it's because you're so worried about the bigger picture, you're not looking up about the steps on, or, like, the little brush or the little stroke that you need yeah. to take in order to create the big picture. And anxiety also comes from a lot of fear of the unknown. Yeah. You know, oh, what if this? What if that? So a lot of the times when I tell my patients is let's not think about what ifs. Don't start Googling something that's just going to take you into that rabbit hole and you're going to get even more anxious. Don't do that. That's that's the same example of turning on and off the switch. Mm -hmm. You know, turning the switch on to me is not Googling that to the what if. Let's just deal with problems when they're a fact. If it's not a fact, why are you going to look up information on the what if if it's probably just going to scare you more and increase your anxiety? That is not helpful for you as a human. So what benefit is that bringing to you in that moment? It's not. It's not. So that's what I mean by self-awareness, turning that switch on and off to help yourself through different tasks throughout the day. Yeah, that makes so much sense because, um, I mean, basically, like, there's been i guess i i'm still current i'm still in the beginning phases of this like whole chronic and like this whole chronic illness that i'm right. going through and you know you're and learning about lupus yeah and it's so sudden because it, it happened it escalated so quickly you know right but right. then like going back to it i feel like my body's been attacked by lupus for like almost the past two years right through like forms of pain i've mm-hmm. always had random pains everywhere you know we just didn't know we just didn't yeah. know yeah exactly yeah. and now that i know like i'm going through this treatment like so like through the treatment it's been about five months of treatment and a lot of it has been like a physical challenge you know going through but then recently due to my self-awareness of what's been going on with mental health this has felt this is feeling more of a mental challenge than a physical yeah you know even though these flare-ups could be very challenging on your body on my body like like whenever i get change on my medicine dosage like for the next week there's there there's like there's a thought in the back of my mind because that's what happened with the flare-ups mm-hmm. one like some of these flare-ups were triggered due to a change in the dosage too early where my body wasn't ready for the change of the dosage and uh, the lupus flared up yeah so every single time i change the dosage there is like some like i'm, I'm anxiety I'm, I'm, fear i'm, I'm anxious i'm, I'm yeah. scared in yeah. the back of my head yeah. of like okay this week might be good or but might it, it not. might be bad. Right. Yeah. Like right. I might not be able to walk. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it's gonna attack me because it's always random. Like yeah. like one time it could be on my skin. It could be on my on my joints. You know, and mm. in my joints it could be anywhere. Like sometimes like I get random pains on my fingers or like on my knee, and so like and like at times they're very temporary where they only hurt mm-hmm. for maybe a few hours and it leaves. Mm-hmm. But then these flare ups hurt. And it just keeps keeps on escalating, yeah. keeps on escalating. And keeps you on just escalating. don't see it and decreasing. I, I don't, yeah. And also, like, I don't know sometimes. Like, right. And it gets to the point where every single time I feel a little pain, like, that thought immediately comes in, like, is this a flare-up? Like, you know, like, yeah. is this something I have to be aware of? Or is this something that I can just take, like, a Tylenol and just feel better? I mean, just as an outsider listening to you right now, I just want to say, you know, you're very brave. 
and you're just amazing in how you're handling all of this. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's very difficult, you know, to have been diagnosed with a chronic illness, educate yourself, learn from it, and baby steps to working with the doctors and, okay, how do we move forward so that I can live a healthy life? Um, and you're doing an amazing job. Uh, and I just want to say that. As, as a Thea or as a therapist? I think both. Or as a person? Three. Three, all, okay. <laughs> all of the above. Um, because, again, different people deal with things in different ways. You know what I mean? The fact, again, I'm sorry to just be so repetitive in today's pod, uh, episode, but the self-awareness that you're having in how you react, in your education, in the information about your chronic illness, um, that's amazing. You know, you're learning every day and every day you deal with some fear or some anxiety. And again, um, you're carrying a lot. You're carrying a lot with what you're going through in this point of time of your life. Um, and it's okay to have those ups and downs and it's okay to have a good day. It's okay to have a not so good day. Um, but you're doing an amazing job through it. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I, tr I try just because I know that like, um, you know, I just, I, I come to the realization that like, you can't control everything in life, but you can definitely like, you definitely have the most control over how you react and how you respond, you Absolutely. know? And what I'm going through right now, I'm seeing this as like a life lesson as in like, yes, I have this, but I can't control that I have this. I can just only control like how I respond to this, you know? Right. And like, I mean, just like everything and everyone in life that they're going through, everyone's going through their problems. Everyone has their problems, you know, Absolutely. everyone's going through something that for them, it might not be lupus, but for them, it could be something as, as like impactful as what I'm going through, you know? Absolutely. I think it's very important not to judge a book by its cover. And once again, I go back to social media nowadays oh, with yeah. COVID, you know, we don't, we just see what people post when people post things. That's when they're. Uh, and they're happy, you know, people aren't posting the raw material of life when life gets really hard. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tough because we're just seeing this fantasy out there and that's not the reality of it. Everybody, every human is going through their own battles. And I think that as a therapist, I remind myself of that daily so that when I meet a person, I have that perspective and I treat everybody with respect. Because I don't know what their personal battles are. Yeah, and everyone's going through personal battles. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what empathy and compassion is. And I think empathy is probably one of the most important things, like, as humans, we should have, or we should prioritize, you know? Yeah, but, you know, it's something simple that you and me are discussing, but not something that everybody has. There's different levels of people that have empathy towards others. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... So in just having this simple conversation, I think you and me are both human beings that have empathy towards other souls and other people. Uh, but there's other people that maybe don't know or weren't showed uh, how to be empathic. And so, if, again, it goes back to parenting and how you were raised and what kind of household you were in. If it was open communication or closed communication or no communication, um, the attachment, the bond between parent and child, all of this forms us. And it has formed us in a way where we as as a family can discuss some of these more difficult topics that in other families people are not ready for. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all on like 
experience in life you know like what your experiences determines how like where your path is going to go and what you do yeah you know but mm-hmm. like to be honest this is uh th- i mean it's all subject i mean it's, it's all subjective it's all like individual you know how people what they go through yeah but i mean it seems like at the bottom of the line therapy will help with everyone <laughs> right we're all human so everybody go to therapy yeah um <laughs> i mean okay so with that being said um with therapy since you are you are like like you're starting and like practice and like thinking of doing a private practice mm-hmm. and stuff if someone here would be interested in like looking for you reaching for you like in reaching you out where where can they do that at? how can they do that uh they could uh look me up through psychology today.com yes psychology today.com yeah okay and, and that's w- the, actually that's a website where there's a whole bunch of different therapists available ready to help and it's just a matter of whether or not they have openings in order for uh for them to pick up patients okay and they could search you up on flor romero yes and and then just in case they're like wondering if you're even a good fit you offer a free consultation correct yes i do offer a free 15 minute consultation uh via phone that's just for us to see okay what is the reason that you want the treatment and from there i could tell you my experience with it or if i feel it's not a good fit i will also let you know that because i want the patient to have the best fit with the therapist so that's why we offer the free consultation okay psychology today mm-hmm. psychology today Flo romero yes yeah licensed marriage and family therapist yes. so that that's going to be more of your of your specialty you know yes with yes. teenagers children uh, couples couples and then and you're working adults. with individuals as well right mm-hmm. Okay, so, and um, to be honest, that seems like a really good way, good, good way to end this. Again, thank you. Thank you for coming here. I, this was a really good conversation that we had. I, I, really I, lo- I love our conversations. And yeah. I think the topics and our, to our listeners, thank you for the ones that did ask us questions. Um, these are important questions and their life and our family and our environments and households. So that was, uh, that was nice that you had some people that you actually threw it out there a couple of days before so that I could have the opportunity to actually ask some questions, which was really nice. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone who, um, who's listening and who ask who asked questions and definitely I would love to have you back, back on. I'm sure people are going to listen to this and have even more questions. Yeah. We're definitely going to keep, keep a tab on that. And uh, for those of you who have not uh, done it yet, you can follow me on social media at Zenith underscore podcast on Instagram, Twitter. That's where you keep up with me. And in Apple, in Apple podcast, in Apple podcast, you could also leave a review if you like on Xena. See what you guys think. Uh, I could improve this. I really appreciate that. I'm always constantly trying to grow just as we as people always trying to learn and grow in life under any circumstance. So with that being said, thank you so much, Flor, for coming here. Thank you so much, everyone who's listening. I appreciate everyone. And until next time, you know where to find me at Zenith. Thank you. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.